Welcome to episode 18 of The Heart Chamber. I am your host, Boots Knighton. And on today's program, I interview Kathy Hoseth. But before we even get to that, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Also, if you like this interview or anything you hear on The Heart Chamber, I sure would appreciate you leaving a review. You can also go to theheartchamberpodcast.com where you can make a donation. You can also leave me a note. I love hearing from my listeners. And if you have a story that you want to share on The Heart Chamber, I'd appreciate hearing from you. You can leave your information on the contact form on the website, or you can leave me a voicemail. But let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to Kathy's interview. I'm so excited to share this with you today. So let's hop to it. Kathy and I became acquainted on the Facebook support group. You will hear me reference time and time again on this podcast for myocardial bridging. Kathy was 58 years old when she had on roofing. She is now 62 years old. I am so honored that Kathy has accepted my invitation to come on to this podcast to share her story. Welcome, Kathy. Well, hi, and thank you for inviting me. So, Kathy, I... I'm really just anxious to dive into this. You know, I have found that when I talk to fellow heart warriors, it's like a balm to my soul that I didn't realize I needed. I mean, even though I have an amazing support group and I've done incredible work around my own healing, there's just nothing like connecting with a fellow heart warrior, particularly over the exact same surgery I had. So dive in, like set the setting for us you were 58 at the time. Did you have warning signs leading up to <laughs> your surgery? Like, help us understand the scene. <laughs> yeah, I did. I'm, um, you know, it got worse as I as I got older. The truth is, is I, I'm probably one of those rare people that felt it even as a child. And just kind of, you know, you just instinctively know that something isn't quite right. But you go on with life, as we all have. For me, it started at kind of guessed at this age, but I would say even eight. And the, for me, back in those days, it was a sharp pain in my heart. To my mom, I would say, Mom, I feel like there's a knitting needle. Why I, I thought of that, I don't know, stabbing me in the heart. She'd look at me very concerned, and then it would go away. You know, we know now what it was that was doing that. My MB, myocardial bridge, was quite deep. And so even in those days, but then that eventually kind of went away. Very active kid came from a family of six kids, all of us about a year apart. And we were just active, you know, always outside doing that kind of thing. And I just, I mean, I thought I was tough as nails, but I, but I just really wasn't. One of the other things I had, which may or may not have been, but I always had a lot of uh, aches and pains. My legs hurt all the time as a kid. I mean, I would just cry myself sleep. None of my other siblings had that, and it could have been. I mean, they thought maybe it was arthritis, right? It wasn't that. It wasn't until, you know, skip ahead a little bit. Well, actually, you can, I mean, there's so many things that once you know that you go, oh, okay. Trying to do track and uh, junior high, telling my coach, I just can't get enough air in. I wanted to. I wanted to be the best. I mean, that's, you know, kind of my personality, just real competitive. I just couldn't do it. 
and and felt you know a bit of a failure but it i just couldn't do it and they you know you know what they say you're not conditioned Meh, you know i was <laughs> i just wasn't if that makes <laughs> sense uh and then skip ahead i'd say how old was i 25 26 i went back to school uh when i was 25 i had a two-year-old and I was pregnant with my next. I know, insane. I did it in four and a half years. And when I transferred to Michigan State, it was a lot. I mean, it, it'd be a lot for anybody. Um, and a lot of, you know, I, I guess I probably don't need to explain that, but just the stress of it was really tough. Just the physical part of trying to deal with a family and the mental, you know, because it was a lot of studying. And I was a mm-hmm. good student, not so mm-hmm. much earlier. Anyway, ended up in uh, MSU because of heart or not chest pain, and it was so bad I thought I was having a heart attack. That was one of the first real indicators. And I went in, and the first thing they did was talk to me and listen to my heart. And she asked me about what I was doing, and when I explained to her what I just told you I was doing, she said, "Oh my gosh, honey, it's stress. You need to go home and take a bath, and you know, have a glass of wine." <laughs> Sounded good. It didn't help. I thought this chest pain that I was feeling was stress, and my life had a lot of stress. Let me interrupt you. I want to interrupt you because did you keep having that chest pain mm-hmm. intermittently? Okay. Yeah, it was. And did you take like an anxiety medication? Like, no, no. Okay, no. you just dealt with the pain. I just dealt with the pain. I kind of gutted it out. Mm-hmm. Um, Tylenol is kind of what I lived. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was bad. And I, I got so I was laughing about it. And I, I remember asking my best friend, because she was doing the same thing I was doing. I said, do you get chest pain? And she's like, no. And I'm like, okay, I guess it's just me. And then did it radiate ever? Like, did it radiate down your arm or in your neck? Or was it just like a full just chest area? What I remember is chest. I mean, it could have been, but I wasn't paying close enough attention. And, and of course, if I rested and things were better, it would be a little less. But raising two little boys and going, it just, it, yeah, that terrible combination. And then later, mm-hmm. I went back to the doc, it, you know, my local doctor, having the side pain that was awful. And we talked about it, listened to my heart, said, you look really healthy. I, you know, I really don't want to do anything invasive. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, okay. He said, it might be, might be pleurisy. And I'm like, well, maybe, I don't know. He said, that's kind of what it feels like. Lived with that for however many more years. Just thought maybe that was it. Chest pain still. And for our audience, what is pleurisy? It is a pain and it's, I'm trying, I should have looked this up uh, because another one I was diagnosed with was pericarditis, which is inflammation around the sac of your heart. This, I think, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. lungs. And, and I could be wrong. I can research that. And, but that's, you know, it's a pain in your side, and your upper side. Mm-hmm. But I think it has more to do with your lungs. How old were you when you had the pericarditis diagnosis? Early 50s. I think back to my own medical gaslighting. And I feel like you're telling my story in a way without me. I don't have kids. But I could not run in high school very well, Mm -hmm. did not know why. I'm five feet tall, and they put me on the long jump (laughs) as like a participatory, like athlete, because I was so determined to participate. And they were like, well, you can't run very fast. And, you know, I just thought I was like some little weakling. 
And, you know, my poor heart, little did I know, was just doing the best it could. And then I actually went to the emergency room several times in my 20s with anxiety symptoms, severe chest pain, and never, they never found anything. No. And they just kept telling me to take anxiety medication. Okay. See, you're just younger, enough younger, where I'd forgotten I had a couple mm-hmm. panic attacks where I actually passed out in line for a movie with a boyfriend. I don't know how old I was, 16 or 17. And, you know, yeah, those panic attacks, I think, were directly related to it as well. But I forgot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Couldn't stand in line anywhere very long. It was just weird stuff. Yeah. And that's why all of this backstory is so important because surely we aren't the only two that have had this. And I mean, I don't want people suffering anxiety to quickly run to a cardiologist and be like, do I have a myocardial bridge? Like, I don't want to ensue unnecessary panic. Yet at the same time, I think it's just just having the awareness (laughs) is so important. Mm -hmm. I agree. Totally agree. Mm -hmm. So what happened next? Okay, after that, you know, back home to deal with little kids and by then working full time, home to raise my two little boys, which were also extremely active kids, and just kind of went on with life, always chest pain, never really went away. But when it got really bad was the the real bad, which now I know because it was always on my left side, you know, never it was always right there. Uh, you know, life goes on. I'm not going to tell you my whole life story, but some other stressors that made the chest pain worse. But I kept going back to, and I'm not one to go to the doctor a lot unless, and when I go, it's because something's wrong. I kept going back to that first diagnosis of, it's just stress, honey, you know. And oh, I wouldn't go to the doctor. What prompted me the next emergency well, there was a couple of them. You forget. But one of them, we had, mm-hmm. my stepdaughter had two little boys, which you know, I was used to, but they had spent a couple of days with us. And by the second morning, and they were young, little, I woke up in my the back, just everything just hurt so bad. And I, you know, I, and, and I did, I'm not one to complain, so I never said a lot, but got up and we made the pancakes because that's what they liked. But by the time it came to clearing the table and doing the dishes, I was having what I thought was a heart attack. And it was a spasm. And that's how I explained it. I said, I I think I'm having a heart attack. There's something really wrong. And so off we went to the emergency room with the little kids. We get there. They run all kinds of tests. You know, she seems okay. You know, I I think she's okay. And I kept saying, what was I feeling? That felt like a spasm. Mm -hmm. I'm And they just said, well, we're going to have you follow up with a cardiologist, which I did a week or two later, my first stress test. And I I must have been, maybe I was in my late 40s, actually. Can't remember exactly. I'd have to, anyway. Passed the stress test with flying colors because uh, my lifestyle is we walk daily and a lot, I you know, five miles, and I'd be walking. This cardiologist went back to see him again, the stress test with flying colors. It was like, you seem okay. But what he said to me, and he sat down and talked to me for a long time and asked me some questions. And he said, did you have pain in the back of your neck? And I was like, "Eh, I don't know if I did or not. I can't remember, but I'm having pain here. And he said, I think it's pericarditis. And that is where the inflammation around the sac of the heart. And he said, it can cause you a lot of pain. He said, it can come and go. Mm -hmm. He said, it's from a virus that you had who knows when. 
and still, I'm still not putting all of these heart issues together. And, you know, I just didn't put them together. So a few more years go by with thinking, uh, it's pericarditis. And what he told me to do, take a ton of Motrin. So, and you know, Motrin is not good for our heart. So, I meanwhile, I'm popping no, these. Mo- no. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, it's- my gosh. And I kept thinking, it's not going away. And sometimes it was worse than others, which I think most people with this understand. And especially if you mm-hmm. were doing whatever, it can, it can kind of wax and wane. And, and it just felt like it was constant. And I thought, God, I should go back and see him. But I didn't. What finally, a couple of things happened. One, the Fitbit became a thing. And my sister and I were doing it, the one one a year older than me, because also very competitive. Was, and she was always trying to get me into five days. And she would just leave me in the dust. I mean, I, I'd finish them, but there was <laughs> talking because I just couldn't breathe. So we were wearing our Fitbits and comparing. And, and, and actually, it was her, uh, my sister Colleen, and I would, i said, say, what's your heart rate? And she'd be, well, you know, I don't know, 110. And I'd be like, geez, so Pete, I'm 185. And she's like, that doesn't sound right. And we started this, yeah, comparison. And then I just started looking into that more and thinking, this, this isn't right. Back to the local mm-hmm. doc. And I met a woman. I, God bless her. She saved me. Interesting, her husband ended up having something very similar a year later. Anyway, she said to me, they took my heart rate. And at that time, for some reason, my left arm hurt. And she took in my EKG. She found something on the EKG. She couldn't read it. She didn't know. But she said, you are, you're, you're tachycardia. Your left mm-hmm. arm hurts. You're going to see a cardiologist. First idiot, I have to say, that I saw. I won't, won't mention his name. He was, put me on one of those monitors, heart monitor. And what I got was a phone call message that said, well, we saw a couple of SVTs, meaning your heart rate spiked a couple times. Nothing to worry about, nothing life-threatening. Okay, whatever. And I ended up back to the doc. Same thing. And Or maybe this, maybe what I just described was the second one. Anyway, similar circumstances. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's something isn't right here. So I don't know what it is. My ex-husband, first husband, died at 51 of a heart attack. And my kids were still fairly young. And I said, I'm... So there was something about that episode and it hadn't been that long that I just said, I want the works. And I think those are the words I said. I said, mm-hmm. I may look healthy, but there's my inner voice is telling me there's something not right here. So let's do it. And he hesitated. He didn't want to. So he put me through a battery of tests. An echo didn't show anything. Some other ultrasound that didn't pick anything up. And I'm like, oh, good grief. I guess it's nothing. It's just me. I'm a hypochondriac. Then I went for a, a nuclear stress test. That showed something. And what it showed, as mm-hmm. you're similar, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they thought I had a blockage. So they got me in uh, right away. Meanwhile, I had a trip to Australia planned. And, you know, I don't know how many days. It was soon. <laughs> so they got mm-hmm. scared. I thought, okay, that's it. I've got a blockage. They'll do a stint. We'll get on with life. So he does the calf, and, and he was not good. He actually had me in tears. He was rough. He couldn't do it through the wrist. And, and I had bruises. You should have seen my leg. It was horrible. He was horrible. And he gets mm-hmm. there. And, he, and where, where was this? Was this in Michigan? It was in Michigan. It wasn't where I had my heart surgery. It was at, um, okay, there's two hospitals, Fred and Lena Meyer Heart Center, where I had surgery. And then there's Mercy Health, where I had this, where my 
my doctor recommended to go. And he's in there doing what he's doing with the wire that isn't necessary mm-hmm. enough. Right. And a heart cath is, is no picnic. I mean, I, I've had, I had three in a year and a half, and I swear each of those was harder on me than the actual open heart surgery. Yep. It is not, it is not how I want to spend my time ever mm-hmm. again. <laughs> no, but he, get, mm-hmm. he gets there. And he said, what? And he looked all puzzles and he's like, what the heck? And he says, and this is what he's saying to me. And let me back up just a little bit. Another issue that I've had is real low blood pressure, real high heart rate. Mm -hmm. So he was like, well, we got to get your blood pressure up before we can too low. So that was after I was in there. So meanwhile, everything wears off, right? And I was like, you know, I can really feel that if you anything right now, your blood pressure is too low. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Just do what you're going to do. And he says this. And by then, you know, he's at the bridge. I didn't know it. But he's like, did you smoke or something? And I said, years ago, you know, and Mm -hmm. I don't for years. And he finally, he goes, oh, it's a bridge. And he's happy about it, stops what he's doing. So he never went all the way through the bridge. He stopped when he finally figured out because he saw such an angle on the um, artery. And that's another procedure where they use a different wire and go down through the bridge to test the pressure. And I know I'm not going to get all the technology right, but that that's mm-hmm. how they really, how bad the bridge is. So he just stopped and, and I thought, okay, well, they found something. Comes back in the room afterwards and he's, you know, all happy and he's like, it's just a bridge. It's nothing. And I'm like, really? And I'd never heard of one. So lo and behold, they put me on a ton of medication, just a ton which just, if you've been through this, you know, I felt horrible. Mm-hmm. And it did nothing for my symptoms. So can you it, uh, tell us about the medication that you were on? Which do you remember yeah. the medications? One of them is metropolol that I occasionally mm-hmm. take now. Very small. They don't even make the amount that I take. It's so small. I have to break things into quarters, which there's a beta blocker and a, oh my gosh, I can't think of the name of it. I'm sorry. But two different kinds of black. That's okay. Um, and also mm-hmm. some or uh, cholesterol, aspirin, and it seems like there was something else. I mean, I was taking pills all day long, and he wanted me to take them a couple times a day. And I'm like, if this is nothing, why am I being loaded up with all of this medication, mm-hmm. making me feel worse? Anyway, started my research. That was about the time I discovered this group that we are part of. And Kathy, what age were you then? I was 58. Once things were correctly diagnosed, they moved quickly, and, and I'm almost okay. there. So nothing, and I went back to him, and that's when I said, I think I have my timeline a little mixed up. That's when I said to him, I've done some research. I know that there, there is surgery. Stanford's doing it out in California. Oh, nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to do surgery for you. It's not going to happen. It's not a big deal. It's mild. At this point, understand, I didn't know that he hadn't done the proper test. Once he was, you know, with the, with the heart cath. And I remember this, he was like, well, there's one more what we could do. And I said, and what's that? He said, the heart cath with the, the wire that goes all the way through and measures. What I know now is he was not comfortable and he didn't end up doing it. Um, through the grace of God, uh, the day that I went in to have that done, it was a terrible snowstorm. And he called me early in the morning and said, well, we can reschedule this. It's not, you know, a big deal. And I'm like, no, I'm coming in. Because he was there. And he ended up not doing it. There was another woman there. that I got lucky. All of my doctors were women. 
that just listened to me. And she took his place. Her name is uh, Karenko. Karenko is her last name. The moment her first name escapes me. And mm-hmm. she told me, she said, we're going to do this. And she said, understand, we don't want you to have surgery if we can avoid it. And I said, do you think for one minute I want open heart surgery? I said, I want to know what I'm dealing with. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. A, exactly. I mean, I don't want to be in the dark. I don't want to be gaslighted, whatever. Let's get to the bottom of it. Yeah. So before we went in, she's already kind of preparing me. And But she was so gentle. She went through my wrist, hardly felt a thing. She was kind, you know, just a beautiful person. Get back out there. And I'm thinking again, eh, it's, you know, whatever, a lifetime of pills. She says to me, and she took my hand and she said, this is very significant. And I'm going to have you see Dr. Liaki. She's a good friend of mine and uh, she'll take care of you. And it was like, oh my God. Actually, just yesterday, I posted something on our group that I could, because I was doing a little research that I found I hadn't seen before. And it's a visual of what my artery looked like. And it's orange, 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 red, 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 red. And, and those colors indicate that I was, you know, there wasn't anything getting through there. I mean, there was a little, otherwise I'd be dead. Wow. Yeah. But that feeling of, okay, I, I feel validated. But then came, oh my God, I am open heart surgery, right? So there was, there was that and I got in to see her. Now I'm even kind of a little shaky just thinking about it. Fairly quickly and, oh, she's brilliant, known for heart transplants. Her bedside manner was terrible, but she was brilliant and I trusted her and that's what ruined mm-hmm. me. There were people on her group that were saying, now you need to come out to Stanford. They know what they're doing. They've done this. Her team actually dove in and looked at what Stanford was doing because they hadn't done this. I was the first here. Um, yeah. Wow. And, and her very first meeting with me and my husband was, yeah, you, it looks like you need surgery. But to be very truthful, for a minute, she kind of backed up. And I think she got nervous and didn't, I don't, I think she wasn't sure she wanted to do it. And she said, we're going to send these out to University of Michigan and have them look at your results. And the results came back, as she knew. You know, she'd already seen it, but she just wanted more proof because they have better tests, like Stanford. And then we went went ahead and did it. Mine wasn't as easy. I was a little older than a lot of you. I still occasionally Mm -hmm. will have pain and a high heart. Not like it was. Not anything like it was. And when I say back to the sister again, we walk a lot together, and I walk with my husband. Was the bridge just over your LAD? Yes. She said it was two centimeters long, but it was Mm -hmm. um, four millimeters deep, which is deep. And I think that's why very deep. deep. And that's why it's so many issues. Mm -hmm. And it's my opinion. That's why I had, I mean, even with the artery that it's taken so long to heal with what they call the endothelial dysfunction. And I can feel that. But it was deep, and it was beat on for 58 years, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It takes time, and I think people forget that. And I, I know I'm, I was very guilty of thinking I just could just get right back to my old life. And, you know, it, it just, that's just not, Mm-mm. that's just not in the cards for us. So, Kathy, I'm just sitting with the fact that you were the first person unroofed in your area. And just the magnitude of that, first of all, that had to have taken some courage to be willing 
to be the first. Yeah, it does. And yeah. And like, I hear you like traveling to Stanford is really far and expensive. And it is so much better if you can stay near your house, near your family, mm-hmm. likely in network with insurance. Yep. All of that, all the above. But what was that like going into that surgery, knowing that you were the first? Uh, when it came right down to it, terrifying. It just was. I, and I actually, one of the feelings I had when I got in there was, oh, my God, am I doing the right thing? Should I get up off this table right now? <laughs> I didn't, obviously. But, yeah, my God, it just was because there are so many people around you and you've been all your life told that it's nothing. And like I say, even the surgeon who was, she was brilliant, hesitated for a minute. Her first reaction when she saw what was happening was, oh, yeah, we need to fix this. But then kind of backed up, maybe realizing we don't do these. You know, this isn't something we do. When it was all said and done, I said to her, whenever I was conscious, maybe it was the day or two later, I can't remember. I said, by the way, I said, I, could, I can feel the release of pressure. I said, you know, I know I've got a lot of healing to do, but I could feel that right away. And she said, good. Mm-hmm. I could too in mine. That amazing? But you can feel that. She asked me later, and I think I told you this before, to do an article for them, to, to do an interview. So that other, especially women, um, because I think that's what, you know, her crusade was to help uh, young women who are ignored with similar issues. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. I'm 62. For those of you younger coming up behind us, hopefully this makes a difference. I actually did have one, a person in our group found my story. She is part of our group. I can't remember her name now either. And she, she started messaging me and she said, can I talk to you? And I referred her mm-hmm. and said, yeah. We don't have up. to do this alone. No. Uh-uh. Yeah. I definitely felt like a pioneer. It was another just quick story too. They kept me in the hospital a while because my heart rate kept going over 200. It was really bad. Uh, but again, I think it's because it was so deep and they had to cut so far to release it. But anyway, a nurse came in uh, when I was feeling a little better, and she said, oh, my gosh, we were all so excited to be in your surgery. And I looked at her like, why? And she said, we have never seen a, um angiogram like yours. She said, your artery had a right angle. She said, it just was amazing to all of us. And she just was so excited to talk to me about it. What I didn't know was that they had two doctors, two surgeons, because their policy is whenever you do something for the first time um, at that hospital, we have two surgeons. So now that you're through the surgery and you've had a few years to reflect, how has this changed your life? I mean, obviously your physical symptoms have dramatically improved. Yes, they have a lot, tremendously. I actually feel like a different person. Um, in a lot of ways. Right afterwards, and I don't know if you had this experience, I shouldn't say right afterwards, actually for quite a while, maybe even a year, I was very quiet, just kind of reflecting and just loving the people around me that were there to support me, just just different. Um, you know, usually my way, you know, I just kind of plow through everything. You know, if I haven't done it before, we'll figure it out on the way. But it has changed me. And, and I don't know if they did this with you, but they stopped my heart when they did the surgery. Mm-hmm. It was something they did yeah, with they my Yeah, they did the same for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. I got to believe that mm-hmm. there's something to that. I, I don't know what it is. 
right after surgery, too, I was also, you know, a lot of people go through a depression. I wasn't in a depression. I was elated. I couldn't be happier. I just felt like God smiled at me, finally. You know, it's like, good grief, could have figured this out a long time ago. But they, they didn't. <laughs> so you didn't experience any cardiac depression at all? No, I really didn't. If anything, I was the other way. Wow. Just, I know. And I know it's rare because many people go the other way. But at first, I sure didn't. Not at all. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, maybe the first couple of years, I wanted to be farther ahead than I was. And that could be a little discouraging. And, I, you know, it's, I guess I've just kind of accepted, which is something I never did well either. But acceptance is a whole new word for me. And that's learning to know your shortcomings and what I can and cannot do. Just taking good care of myself. My, my diet's changed. My lifestyle has changed. I, mean, I was never a crazy person, but um, I drank very little. I'll have a mm-hmm. glass of wine or two sometimes with my sister and sometimes with mm-hmm. But it's rare because that still affects mm-hmm. me. With your diet, how did you change your diet? One of the things that I've always been a sugar hound, still am, and I have to be careful, cut way back on the sugar. Okay. I, I will, can't be a vegetarian. I just can't do it. I love my veggies and I eat a lot, but I still like a little chicken every now and then, a little steak. Mm-hmm. I hate fish, unfortunately. But just clean, clean eating, if you will. Don't mm-hmm. do the diet pop. Mm-hmm. Another thing that mm-hmm. I do that I should, coffee. I have it in the morning. Um, and then I have, if I do have it later, it's decaf. Do you notice that if you drink too much caffeine that it affects your heart? Can you feel it? Absolutely. Yeah. So I just don't. I mean, there's just those little things. It's like, no, nah, you're, you're not bulletproof. And why do something there? Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. I've, I noticed for me, like my heart surgery just turned me into a barometer and I was sensitive before, but now I'm like, it's like a million times more sensitive to everything. And I think that I had to, I was pretty aware before my surgery, but I really had to hone my awareness even more to make sure I didn't get myself into trouble after surgery. And I think that is a skill that is paramount to healing well, is just really being in touch with ourselves and our bodies, but our physical body, but also our emotional body and our mental body. And it's just, it's not healing a broken bone and and broken bones can be serious, but this is the ultimate surgery, I feel like. And I feel like it's, I wonder if you feel the same, Kathy, I, I feel like it's such an opportunity to try again at life. Like it just has a way of just wiping the slate clean. And, you know, especially for those of us who are put on the heart lung machine, because like Stanford does off pump surgeries, but my surgeon doesn't believe in that. He, and for me, I had such intensive myocardial bridging on multiple arteries that it was, it was impossible to do it off pump anyway. But yeah, I just, I felt like it was like a re, you know, how like sometimes if your iPhone or your computer kind of like acts up, you just power it off mm-hmm. and then you wait a few seconds and then you power it back on again. Like mm-hmm. that's what I think you yeah. and I went through, right? Like yeah. <laughs> when our heart was put on the heart lung machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Yeah. So you and I lucky we get to, we got to do a reboot that, you yeah. know, yeah. Not that I say not that I'm advocating for everyone to go out and get an open heart surgery. Like there's there's gotta be easier, softer way. <laughs> yeah. The whole discussion of whether it's hereditary is interesting to me too. I, I don't know. It is, yeah. I, and and you know, I think 
with this myocardial bridge thing, I wonder, Kathy, if it's really just getting going, like the conversation in the medical community. You know, I think all of us, you are very much a pioneer for, in your area, but like, yeah, but for the rest of us, I mean, I think that we're all here to maybe seed that conversation. I don't know. I have to wonder. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, I feel lucky that I ran into the, the right people at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, like I said, how mm-hmm. they were all women that listened to me and, uh, yeah, yeah, woman to woman. But yeah, there, I mean, obviously there are plenty of good surgeons out there, but I just felt like mine was one of the best. And even though she hadn't done it, I knew she could handle it. So going into that surgery, part of your question, I knew that, I knew that much that I knew she was a brilliant surgeon and could do it. So I don't know. Wow. Well, I'm so glad you're so still with us, and I'm so glad that you were are courageous enough to share. And I think there's such power and healing when we are willing to share our stories and when we're willing to listen to each other's stories. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how the world heals. Absolutely. And I think you're right. This mm-hmm. is beginning to get some attention and research because that's what it needs is a lot of research. You know, when I first joined our group, what was there? Like 200, I think people, Mm -hmm. maybe 200 had had it done. That's not very many. That's not very many. New. And, and we're over a thousand people now in our support group, I think. So it's, it's pretty amazing. And so Wow. Well, Kathy, thank you for your time today. Is there is there anything you want our listeners to know? Any words of advice or something that surprised you before we hang up today? What I would say to anybody, uh, especially women, do not be ignored. If you feel something isn't right, just push. The tests are out there. And if you're lucky enough to have the insurance to do it, you do it and you listen to yourself. And contact people who've been through it. Yeah, and I would echo that a million times. Well, thanks again, Kathy. Kathy Hoseth from Lowell, Michigan, sharing her story of myocardial bridging, being unroofed at age 58, and thriving and living her best life now. And that's our episode for today. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of your day with me. If you enjoyed this podcast, I sure would appreciate if you would go to my website, theheartchamberpodcast.com and make a donation. Also, if you are a fellow heart warrior, I'd love to hear from you. Would you like to share your story on this podcast? You can either send me an email at boots at theheartchamberpodcast.com or you can go to my website and go to the contact link and leave me a message there. There's also a way to leave me a voicemail on my website. I'm so glad you joined me for today. Please be sure to come back next Tuesday to the Heart Chamber podcast for another inspiring episode.